Welcome to the podcast, Moving Through Fear, where we explore the role fear has in leading us toward what's most important. I'm Craig Strong, photographer, inventor, and co-founder of Lens Baby Inc. Along the way, I've met a lot of amazing people who've learned a great deal about how to live life well. In these one-on-one conversations, we explore the role fear and negative emotions have played in, of all things, making life better. Today, I talk with Barbara Corley. She's an inspiration to me. The things that she went through as a child helped her face life pretty much fearless. And while there's some things in the background that keep her from going in some directions that she has a lot of anxiety about, uh, it keeps her growing in the ways that uh, she is most passionate about. I was inspired by this conversation, and I think you will be too. Craig Strong here with Barbara Corley. Today, we are here to talk about the Lens Baby mission statement, which is we empower artists to move through fear to discover extraordinary creative freedom. Barbara is a photographer that I met through Lens Baby, and she she makes amazing work. I love the pond near you. I assume that's near you because you're <laughs> there is. all the time. And uh, I I got the chance to meet you a few years ago when you came through with your uh, recumbent bike, and we're doing a tour of Oregon. Uh, came by Lens Baby headquarters, and uh, I also ride a recumbent bike. Um, and uh, you know, learning that there was some fear there for me, and a, yes. a, few, a few falls along the way. Um, but when I reached out to you, uh, you said that this mission statement resonates with you, and it's a big part of your story. And I just wanted to sit and talk with you for a while, and I, I want to thank you for being being willing to share your story. Yes, it's my pleasure. Yeah, well, so Barbara, um, you have, uh, you've told me that it resonates with you that that fear um, and those those hurdles in your life have, have spurred you on to something bigger. When do you look back at early on in your life that has one of those those hurdles that had anticipation, fear, anxiety, whatever the emotion was, uh, that you can that that makes sense now that didn't make sense then. I guess being told that I, I couldn't do that. Can you remember a specific thing that you were told that you couldn't do that that ended up being more of a challenge than a hurdle? I believe it's having a twin sister that was always more aggressive, more assertive than I was. And so she put herself forward and left me behind. And it was a struggle for me to not really compete with her, but to keep up with her. If that, there is a difference there. Yeah. What what kind of things was she moving forward and being aggressive with that uh, you had to keep up with? Just boys being social that type of thing. Yeah, that's that's a tough. I've got two sets of twins and I I've oh, watched wow. uh, yeah, I've watched that uh play out with both of them. That one of them at different times, one of them will be more socially uh connected and, than the other and and the, you know, what was what was that like to see your sister out ahead of you and what kind of thoughts as a as a kid did you have about yourself 
when you saw her doing things that, that felt scary to you? I believe I became more introverted, but also chose things that I felt comfortable doing that didn't involve her, that then I could excel in without having her, you know, looking down on me because I couldn't keep up with her. Was photography one of those? It was. It was. I, my sister was, had no interest in photography. My dad was a photographer. And because I guess I was the one that was always left behind, he would take me into the dark room with him. Hmm. And we spent a lot of time together that way. Wow. What kind of images would did, do you remember making early on with your father? He would do kind of creative stuff. He had a, a friend that would come over and they would set up these high-speed shoots where he would shoot a gun and catch the bullet in midair, that type of thing. Wow. And, and, I and, did, and you did this in your basement? The, we, he would do that outside. Outside, okay. I believe he did that outside. I just worked in the dark room with him. Wow, I that... helped. I, I would drain the prints. That was my job. And then the cleanup afterwards. But it was amazing. That was an early on memory that has been with me forever because I did it for a long time. Yeah. And, and you're still doing it today in, still... in different format. But yeah. I'm doing it. When I was, I believe, five years old, I learned to knit. I learned to ride a bicycle. And that's when my dad really, or when I really took interest in my dad in the dark room. So mm. all these, all three things have stayed with me all my life. Wow. And so, so you had knitting, you had the dark room. What was the third thing? Bicycling. Bicycling. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> what we met in person around. Yes. Uh, so, so that, there's, so I know the bicycling side and uh, I want to know the knitting side. Where did that come from? My grandmother taught my sister and I to knit when we were five years old. She brought us these little kits. Wow. I'm the one that continued through all these years knitting. My sister did not. No, you, you, <laughs> you kept going. She was off uh, socializing and yes. becoming, yeah, <laughs> becoming popular while you yes. were uh, doing these other, other concerns. So other, huh. you know, more things you could do by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and did that, so if you're identical twins, like there's, no, we're not, Oh, you're not, you're, you're fraternal. Um, and so there's, I guess I, I won't make the comparison as far as, uh, the, the biological aspect of, of being more introverted or ex, ex, extroverted, cause that doesn't really apply here. Um, but I've seen that I've got one set of identical twins and, and, uh, you know, very, very different because by all, you know, the, um, Nurture is such a big part of who we become, uh, regardless of, of the genes we start with, is, is what I've discovered. 
Um, and I've got a set of, of fraternal twins and, and, uh, so I don't even think about it. <laughs> it's like, oh, of course they're different. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so what was it like growing up with a sister, uh, who was very different than you? And it sounds like, uh, that people, or maybe it was yourself were telling you that you weren't going to be as good as her, at least at the more public things. Um, you know, how'd you, how'd you respond to that as a child? Um, you know, besides going into these things that, uh, that you still carry to, to this day. I don't believe I responded to it. I don't, we fought a lot. Maybe that was my response to it. (laughs) Barbara, what came next for you in photography after you had that experience with your father of helping him in the darkroom? In high school, I was in the photography club. I worked in the darkroom there. I wandered around school with a camera hanging around my neck every day taking pictures. From there, after school, my first job was in the darkroom. For the next 10 years, I worked in a dark room for a commercial photographer, mainly. I spent two years as a photographer for two water sports magazines in Orlando, Florida, mainly because that's where I met my husband and he was a water skier. And then from there, I had my own little dark room where I did passports, I did insurance, claim pictures, you know, just the darkroom portion of it. That's where it all came from. Wow, that's great. And so you you went from being a kid helping your dad to immediately, you know, applying that knowledge that you had and that love for photography and interest. How would you describe that as a as a high schooler or junior higher as you're as you're walking around with this camera around your neck. Um, How'd you feel about photography? It was just part of my life. I never thought it was anything special. It was just what I did. It sounds like it was your identity. You were a photographer, so of course you're going to carry a camera around. It's possible. That's it. I probably... I mean, those were the fun days. When I got out on my own, when I was working for the commercial photographer, it was expensive to have the equipment to do on your own. So that, you know, I did for them. But eventually I was able to purchase the stuff for my own dark room. But still, film is expensive. It, it, it was an expensive hobby. And I didn't do that much behind the camera until I worked for the magazine. Then, you know, they supplied the, the material for that. How did that come up? You said that your husband was a um, water sports. He was a water skier. Water skier. Professional. No. No. He just did it, and so he, so he was, was a competition picture- skier. He was a competition skier, mm-hmm. and were was it your photos that you took of him that opened up the door for that job? It was him and uh, the tournaments. I guess I would go with him to a tournament. I don't know how my pictures got to the magazine, but when they saw them, they wanted me to take pictures for them. Wow, that's great. And not knowing how, 
that's there's a whole story to unpack there, but maybe we don't know how to tell that. The uh, what what did you connect with about water sports or or uh, the the kind of photography that you were doing for the magazines? I can't say I connected with that in any special way. That was just that was what was there. That was because my my boyfriend at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what he did. And I was with him. And so that's what I took pictures of, basically. And was there other types of photography that you connected more with as a on a soul level, on a you know vision of the world type thing? What I think my main focus is landscape photography. I think because I was outside taking pictures of more of the environment with somebody in it, I believe that's what led me to be more landscape oriented. Mm-hmm. Although I did do some ads where it was product. I take pictures of everything. Yeah. That's great. And, and it sounds like this was something that was just an adventure for you. I know that for me, the things that as a child that I felt like, Hey, I'm, I'm good at this. There's not a lot of anticipation as an adult about the nuts and bolts of doing that, whether it's photography or, you know, I'm a fly fisherman. I started that when I was 12. Um, Spend a lot of time in the outdoors. Like, I don't know. Do you relate to that sense of, Hey, this was something early on that was handed to you that, uh, that then just kind of made it, whether it's an identity or, or just something not to have a lot of anxiety about. Is that, does that some, does that ring true? It, it really does. It yeah. does. Because that was just, I mean, just like riding a bicycle. You knew how to do it. It didn't take a lot of thought. I, a lot of times people have asked me about my training and I tell them that it was hands-on training. I didn't go to school. To be how, a photographer. How, would, how would you describe you? You describe yourself as a landscape photographer. And like I said, I, that pond that you photograph often is, you know, there's just some really profound, quiet moments that that I've seen you um, photograph and share. How would you describe your expertise? What are people asking you about as far as your training that they, they that you think they see in your images that feel that feels like it should have a lot of training behind it? The composition, the, possibly the story or the mood, the emotion mm-hmm. that my images evoke. And these things, these things were self-trained is what I'm hearing. It is, because I hate to say it, but I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) I see it. It's just more natural for me than to have to really think about what am I taking a picture of? Hmm. I see it, the light, the composition, and what mood I can bring from that. So when you go out to to create a photograph, talk to me about your process. Like you're obviously putting yourself 
into a spot, whether it's going for a walk or going for a bike ride, where you can see things that are significant and unique. Um, what's what else are you doing to to kind of prime that pump so you're ready for those images? I'm still learning a lot about exposure, depth of field. Every time I go out, it's a learning experience. What can I learn from this? If I focus here, what happens? That type of thing. So every, every time is a learning experience? It is. I don't go out saying I know exactly what I want because I don't. I go out and I, I'm looking. What can I learn from this? I have a lot of lenses. And I have them because they all have character. So I'm learning about all these different lenses. What, which one to use for a particular circumstance so I can narrow it down. I know if I grab this lens, I know what I want to do with it. So the physical action of putting yourself in the place is combined with that sense of curiosity around and learning of your equipment? Yes, yeah. definitely, definitely. Yeah. And, and it sounds like you're, you're outdoors a lot. I am. I'm on my bicycle a lot. I'm out walking a lot. I, I'm outside a lot. This this trip that we met three or four years ago when you came through Oregon, uh, it, talk to me about that. How long was it? What? How often have you gone on trips that long? In 19, was it? Can't say that. I have always wanted to take a long trip. It was kind of a dream. And then I made it a goal that by the time I was 60, I was going to do a coast to coast on my bicycle. So the only way to get that done is to put it on the calendar and then it becomes reality. So it was actually 2004 that I went coast to coast with three other people. It was a challenge with all the different dynamic between the four of us. After that, somebody says, okay, what's next? The Appalachian Trail. And I says, well, I don't know about that. Even though I'm a hike, I wasn't really a, a backpacker. But the thought stayed with me. And then when my son came to me and says, mom, I think I'm going to hike the Appalachian Trail. So I says, oh, wow, now's my chance. So we decided to do that together. In 2007, we got about three months up to that point, And he comes to me and says, I'm not going to do it. So I'm already geared. I've been training with friends. We go out on weekend trips or overnight trips just to narrow down the gear and know what I needed to take. So I decided I was going to go anyway. And I did. And that was about a five and a half month trip. Wow. So I have that in me knowing I can do that length of time. My husband knows how to deal with that length of time. <laughs> so then, you know, you just keep going. You just, what's the next thing you're going to do? So I did with a friend 
from Portland, Oregon, up to Anacortes and across the northern states up into Canada, Portland, Maine. And then we came down the east coast to Statesboro, Georgia. After you get that under your belt, you you have to complete it. But from that, I learned I'm better off going by myself. But to get to that point, you want to do something so badly and nobody else wants to do it. And it just eats at you that you can't do it. So that's where you decide you brush off any fear that you might have and you take that step forward and you do it. And that just opens all kinds of doors. So I did. I went from Portland, Oregon to San Diego. And by the time I got to Austin, I had to stop because a daughter-in-law was about to have a baby. And then the next year I went from Atlanta, Georgia to St. Augustine, Florida to Austin to complete my trip. In between the years, I always would go out to Oregon and do a month long ride around the state. And that's where you come in. Yeah, that's where we met. And so a month long ride, that is everything you're describing here is very countercultural to being an American in, in my experience and, and, and good for you. And you said, if you get it in your mind to do it, you're going to do it. That's, that's correct. Whether I have to do it by myself, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I mean, good for you that your son planted the seed and got you guys all ready. And then he bailed and you didn't. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's uh that's it sounds like that contrast that you had with your twin sister was good training for the choices you've made in life because you've chosen to be different than than most of us and in in ways that are have got to be really rewarding what's that like to to go on a trip across america uh, and then essentially in two steps do it again the other direction and, and by and yourself you did, and by yourself that second time, because the first few long trips you took, if I understand, if I understood correctly with other people, it was like, nah, I enjoy this better alone. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Like, like what, that's yeah, that's crazy. I, I guess because of all the years where I would go off on my own because I couldn't keep up with the others or whatever. It didn't bother me to be by myself. Yeah. I preferred it that way. I could do what I, that's where the selfishness comes in because I prefer to do, go do it by myself. So not keeping up with the others, what, what was, what was the factor in that? Is it, did you have a different type of bike? Was it uh, your photography was getting in the way? What was, what was no, it's, it's not. Everybody had a different agenda. That's mainly what it is. Yeah. What's your agenda? Just to get on my bike and go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're you're less concerned about um, doing it in a certain defined amount of time as much as, as experiencing it? I have a defined amount of time. I have a schedule. I have an itinerary. I plan mm-hmm. everything out beforehand. I know I can do it because all the things that I've done prior have led me up to knowing I can do it. I I know my, I have confidence that I can do it. 
Do you remember your first big trip? I do. It was 73. Hmm. Where'd you went, go? Went from Bend, Oregon to Lander, Wyoming, and then back. Wow. And what was the gear and what was that first experience like? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the gear... It, I, I went with my sister's boyfriend's brother. We had a map. I don't think we had any plan whatsoever. And the gear we had back then was pretty rough. No bike shorts. We didn't even have a helmet. I had a 10-speed bicycle, and you just headed out. Wow. And that... I. It was an experience, and I think that's what really set the seed, really. Other than being raised on a bicycle, we would always go out on family um, excursions on our bicycles. But it's just always, it's always been with me, that knitting and photography. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're headed out on a 10-speed bike from Bend, Oregon to Wyoming and back. How long did this take? Did you have any concept of, of what it was going to take before you started? No, that not even how much money we needed. <laughs> how much money did you need? Not enough. I know that. <laughs> uh, so that you was were, a long time ago. <laughs> so you were broke and you were bicycling and you were with your sister's boyfriend's brother. Mm -hmm. Were you good friends? Like, like no, I didn't know him. He wanted to go and didn't want to go by himself. So ah. I said, oh, "Okay, I'll go." <laughs> wow, and and so you're just like this is inspiring me um, because you're just like, yeah, let's do it. And and it sounds like you've approached things that you're interested in with that approach and this is a theme that 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 uh, has come up a couple times already in our conversation um and off you went with a stranger they that uh you know you're peripherally connected with that wanted to do a trip that sounded like something that that you would enjoy um do you remember any of the foibles along the way what happened when you ran out of money we knew we were approaching running out. So we just had to really be careful with our, our meals and stay in churchyards instead of a campground or that type of thing. So you, you had food the whole time. Yes, we did. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And, uh, I, I, yeah, I, 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 this is going to be an audio program, but I want to see photos of that. Do you have any photos <laughs> of that trip? I no, I don't. No. No cell phones. I didn't have a camera. No. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. Interesting. Just wow. memory. Memory. But, you know, you say that's, I never think about why I do what I do, but I do. I get something in my mind that, oh, I really want to do that. And I'll do it whether anybody else wants to do it or not. And I, I'll do it. If I want to do it bad enough, I will do it. If it doesn't get done, it's because I guess not. <laughs> I guess I didn't care enough to do it. <laughs> but I will plan ahead. I will plan years ahead if I have. I know that 
that's when I'll be able to do it. Then it goes on the calendar and I will work towards it. So you said that your family would go out on bike trips. Mm-hmm. Were those planned years ahead? Did you, did no, you see we, that? No, they were just neighborhood bike trips. Okay. Okay. So not we overnight. Were, no, not overnight. We were campers. We always went camping, but we, I, get, I don't know if it's from my dad, but he would, you know, we would go out on excursions around the neighborhood. Hmm. So that that got the bike bug into you. I believe the plan, so. The planning bug years ahead. That's that's what I'm wondering about. Where is that just something that was necessary for you? Is that just how you're wired? Is you want to know what you're going to count on and what's coming? It is. I w- I'm. I want to know. I need to know, even though it may change, but it still guides me. Hmm. For instance, the Appalachian Trail. Can I do this? I would read journals of other women my age and say, if they can do that, then I can do it. Same way with bike trips. I would read journals and know where they stayed, what encounters they had. So I could kind of get an idea. And I would, I, the fear that I have always had is getting lost. So when I went out on my own, finally, I had all my bases covered. I had my cell phone. I had uh, put everything out in writing. I had maps. I had cue sheets. So, you know, that was my confidence right there. I have confidence in my writing ability. I have confidence in writing on the road. People will say, aren't you afraid? And and to me, I don't, where I go, I pretend that that's where I live. Sure. So, so I'm not afraid. Hmm. And, okay, I'm starting to piece things together. If I were you and had experienced this trip in 1973 from mm-hmm. Bend, Central Oregon to Wyoming and back with no planning, with just a map, with uh, you, you didn't have enough gear, essentially, at, no. <laughs> not even close, with a stranger, with uh, without enough money, all of these things, that would wire me to want to plan ahead. Was that a big part of the factor of, of, of what came later? Was that you didn't want to repeat some of the things that were not enjoyable about that trip? It may subconsciously, but I didn't really think about it. For one thing, now later when I'm doing these things, my husband needs to not, I I guess he needs to know. I want him to know, be comfortable where I'm going to be each night. Sure. And that's why if, and then if I make any changes, he knows about it. So, and that brings up the issue of, technology we've got cell phones you've probably got cell service most places that you're spending the night and you can touch base how have things changed since the early 70s and going on a road trip to where you're at now and obviously you've got a different bike than was even available back then um what 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 kind of changes have you seen in in technology the things you use to to get around the phone and I always kept a journal 
an online journal. So the it was the dial-up. There was the pocket pocket pal, this little thing that you dialed into the phone with a modem, but you would type your journal on it and then it would download into to the journal. It, and that was crazy back then. How long and ago that was, was that? 04, that was 04. Okay. Huh. So you had a, you had a dial up modem that how would you get cell service or were, were you on cell or were you on? No, uh, you, you would, you would, I don't know how it worked. If I don't remember how it worked. Pay phone. No, I would go to some business and ask if I could use their phone, just dial into it. Uh-huh. And this pocket pal thing would connect to it and download the journal. Wow. And who, and, and that would go on to like some rudimentary website that, that you, uh, that you built or. No, the crazy guy on a bike.com. Crazy guy on a bike.com. Yes. And, is. and so it was like a blog for multiple people yeah. and you could have all your own username mm-hmm. all over the world. Mm-hmm. Wow. So there was a community of photographers or I'm sorry, of, of bikers that were out and checking in every night. Could you read other people's yes. stuff? No, I couldn't. Not on the not on the road. Not no. not until you got back. Not until I got to the library and to a computer. Got so it. that was another thing. You would have to go to the library. Or they had the internet cafes where you would pay to use their internet and you could do your bills and all that type of thing. Fortunately, I had a husband at home that was great support and handled all that. <laughs> oh, that is fascinating. And and how about the the gear, the the bike? You you seem to have found something that's super comfortable for you to, to stay on is, for days. That bike Talk, is describe the bike, please. It is a long wheelbase recumbent. Tour Easy is the model, and it's was the company's no longer in business, but it's Easy Racers out of California. That bike back then is what I have now. I still do all my touring on that bike. How long have you had it? Since 03. Since 2003. Yeah. And I wow. just had it painted. I gave it a treat. Yeah. I'm no, lo- I'm no longer touring. I put a motor, I converted it to an e-bike. Mm-hmm. Although I do have another one like it that's not all loaded down with racks and so forth that I can ride. Also an e-bike? No, it's not. No. Yeah. So if I do a, a ride that doesn't have a lot of heels, I ride it around home. The e-bike is heavy. And I don't, unless I'm going on a, a supported ride. Mm-hmm. What's what's a supported ride? Many states have week-long bike rides. Georgia has bicycle ride across Georgia. It's called Bragg. I do that. They ha- it's an annual ride. I do that every year. And that I will ride my e-bike. Hmm. Like Florida has, I'm going on a week-long ride in April in Florida. Hmm. So the longer the longer the ride. I'll use the e-bike. 
And you've been doing this for so many years, it just feels natural, it feels, uh, I imagine. I, yeah. When, you, when I sit on that bike, I say, oh, this is, this is where I belong, mm-hmm. with the camera around my neck. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and now you're you know, not quite the physical demands because you've got a little bit of assistance there uh, for pedaling. I'm older. Yeah. I'm older. <laughs> yeah, well, and you're keeping going and you're staying out there. And you're finding ways to do that. Uh, good for you. I, 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 I've got to say, as you described, like as we started out with you talking about your your twin sister and her being out ahead of you and doing things that, that you weren't good at or weren't recognized as good at or people were telling you you'd never be good at because she was always better than you. Mm-hmm. And I have not heard a lot of fear in your story ever since that. That was, it's like you got it out of the way as a kid and we're like, okay, you know, if, if uh, all of you people don't believe in me and that I'm going to ignore the things you're expecting me to be good at, which are all the things she's good at, and I'm going to go be myself. Right. I had to prove to myself that I could do all the things that, at one time, they didn't think I was able to do, you know, just the confidence part of it, I believe. Yeah. So that that adversity and that doubt that people had uh, because your sister overshadowed you in, in ways that were more you know, obvious as a kid uh, seemed to have have formed a foundation uh, for a pretty confident Barbara uh, for the rest of your life. And I am. Uh, I love hearing your story and I love hearing about these risks you've taken. Um, I've enjoyed seeing your photos for years and knew that there was a story behind them. And I, I feel like all of these things that we're talking about right now go into each one of those amazing images that you produce. Well, thank you. I don't think of that. In fact, I still, if I'm insecure of anything is, are my pictures good enough? They're never good enough. I'm always striving to do better. Sometimes I take a couple steps backwards, but I'm, I'm always striving to get better, to learn more. So there's still some anxiety there around there is. putting there yourself is. out there or, or just, you know, rising to, the, to your own challenge. Uh, is, that, is that more of the sense of you're not satisfied with your images, even if, if other people like them? Yeah. Yeah. I'm always told that I'm too critical of my work. I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I'm that good. But that I think a lot of photographers think that way. <laughs> right. But, but you still keep walking out there with... And, I do. And, and learning the gear, you said you've got a lot of different lenses and, and I know you've got a lot of lens babies, but you're putting yourself out there in a way that allows for possibility. How would you describe that? Like, like if, if there's all this anticipation and all this self-critical uh, criticalness that's, that you're taking out as you're photographing or as you're looking at your images that you've made, uh, what brings you back over and over? I'm not quite sure I understand. So a lot of us have tons of anticipation about the pictures that we're putting out into the world and we're self-critical, like you're saying you are about yourself. What keeps, what keeps you coming back to photography as uh, a way to get better and to grow? 
it's just a desire to improve. You know, I don't want to stand still. Hmm. I want to continue to improve and try new things. I my photography is not, I would say, beyond. I don't, you know, it's not crazy stuff. It's more classic with a twist. That's how how I would look at it. Hmm. But I don't know. See, I think maybe I need to do crazy, but that's not me. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe that's it. I think maybe, I don't know. I don't know what's expected of me, which I shouldn't really care, but I do. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like that, that caring is not something or the, the sense of what should I do that I'm not doing is not something that really holds you back. Like you're continuing to move forward in the way that you feel is important. Even if you have these nagging thoughts of maybe I should be crazy, maybe I should be all these other things. And yet you're, you're rather than letting that paralyze you or keep you from putting yourself out there or from learning other things, you're going toward the things that you are good at and know that you can be better at. True. That's very true. It's all like, like when I would be getting ready for a trip, all the training that led up to that, that's what I'm doing. All the training, all the experimenting I'm doing with my photography to get better, to finally be satisfied and are you ever satisfied? Are you ever satisfied? Never satisfied. No. no. So you just keep working at it, keep trying. That next picture is going to be better than the picture before. You know, I try different angles, like the pond. I go there and try different angles. I challenge myself. How can I look at this pond in a different way? The lighting, the different times of the day or the weather or the year helps with that but i um, that's my challenge place to challenge myself at the pond <laughs> and you go back over and over i and do over. i do i love it you've painted a picture of growth and of putting yourself out there and making uh making choices in your life that uh are based on what you want and what you want to do and good for you. Yeah, it's, I find that extremely inspiring. I love that I get to to uh, have this conversation with you today and go into the rest of my day thinking about what it is. What is it that I I want, and why am I not doing it? Right. That's right. And the older you get, you can't uh, procrastinate on that thought. You've got to take action. You've got to do it. I love it. Thank you, Barbara, for having this conversation with me. I, I knew there was a story that, that I needed to hear today and, uh, and there was, and I'm inspired. I, 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 before we end this, I want to tell you how much I appreciate your company, your product. It has made me bloom. I believe it has really inspired me to do better, to create good things. And they, uh, and they let me do that. Well, you're very, very welcome. And it's a privilege to be able to work together and have this connection because 
a piece of gear is just a piece of gear until somebody uh, picks it up and sees something or makes something with it in in ways that uh, that are important. And you've done that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Barbara. You have a wonderful day. I will. You too. Okay. (laughs) Bye. Bye. It's a pleasure. Bye. Thanks for joining me for the Moving Through Fear podcast, where we explore what it means to move through fear to discover extraordinary creative freedom.